do you know how good I've gotten at opening our beeper? Like we had like three seconds before the beep and I didn't even have the page open and I still got in under the gun. Look, I didn't want to bring this up in public, but I've often felt like your beeping was inadequate, Brad. And I'm glad that you're finally getting your game in. You're getting the beeper ready to go. Like we're not we're not having those big weights. I feel like it's all coming around. It's all kind of coming up, Brad, these days. I'm the fastest draw in the West, man. Oh, man. Fastest beep in the West. I can't believe you didn't know about Control K. I, dude, you, hey, always be always strive to be increasing your knowledge about the world is, is my that's my life philosophy. If you if you ever lose the capacity for childlike wonder at all that is <laughs> like, what's the point of even living anymore? So, hey, I am extremely excited that I have learned about Control K on this day. I had a conversation with an engineer at Whiskey Media in 2010 when I started working there. That was like, yo, what's your what's your linking keyboard shortcut? They're like, why do you need a linking keyboard shortcut? I was like, well, every single time I write a post, I put about 10 links into it. And if I have to go up and click the thing manually, I'm going to come over with a fork and jab somebody's eye out after about two weeks. Dude, I've been clicking manually my whole life. Wow. So control K is it. That's a universe. Well, it's not all universal, but it's not like. It's not like copy, paste, undo universal, but it's up there. It's up there. I mean, to be clear, we're talking about linkifying a link itself, like a link where the text is also the link, right? Like this does not work on a piece of text that you want to hyperlink that is not itself. Does it? So if you highlight a piece of text, any control K aware editor will pop up a way for you to punch. the link. This is where it's not universal. If it's a good editor, you highlight a piece of normal text that is not a hyperlink. It's not a URI, a universal resource indicator or whatever mm-hmm. the hell URI stands for now, because I feel like it changes every once in a while. I think that's you right. control K and then you and then you can like paste a link in or type a link in whatever. But if it's if it's a good one, it's context aware. And when you highlight a URI and hit control K, it will automatically make that clickable. So exciting. You don't understand. This is like, uh, let's see, what was, what are some other banger keyboard tricks? We made a video series on these that tested back in the oh, day. Oh, wow. I have to look that up because apparently I've been <laughs> very out of the loop for some time. But uh, another uh, one. Windows plus L. Windows. Oh, for. Lock your screen. Don't do that while we're recording. That's probably bad. Yes. yes. Well, I mean, if we're getting into Windows keyboard shortcuts, like the all bets are off. There are a zillion of those. But I was going to say like another text editor one that I just learned about. I don't know how universal this is. Control shift V. To paste without any formatting. Uh, yeah, that's a good one, but it's that is definitely not universal because I, I don't think Google Docs uh, honors that. Well, I guess it does now, huh? Google Docs is where I learned about it, so <laughs> it must be somewhat widespread. Um, I, you know, I, I'm going to go one layer deeper. I installed the new version of Power Toys using uh, WinGet the other oh, day. Oh man, I got to try WinGet. And uh, there's a thing in there now called Power Toys Run. That basically works like the spotlight, you know, like the like yeah. the command spacebar launcher from OS 10. It's so freaking good. Well, yes, but I tried it a while back. It is great. It is. It is the pop up spotlight from from OS 10 Mac OS. It's also Alfred. Did you ever use Alfred? Yeah, Alfred was good until until Apple Sherlocked it. Is, is that? Oh, dude, is that the word? Sherlocking is what happens when Apple takes a feature that existed previously as a standalone application and turns it into an OS level system feature. Is it Apple specifically or or could anybody Sherlock? I think anybody can Sherlock at this point, but I feel like it's a pretty unique to the Apple ecosystem. Microsoft's move is usually to take functionality away, (laughs) not to add new functionality. (laughs) That is fair. I mean, they did it with Nightlight, though. It's like Flux has gotten Sherlocked almost out of existence by what is it? Night Shift on NOS 10 and Nightlight in Windows. 
Yeah, I think so. I flux is to flux. I can sync my hue lights to my screen, though. Mm, okay. Let me tell you, if you want to make a bunch of people really angry when you're streaming, turn flux on. Sometimes I play games with nightlight on and I don't care because it is very pleasant. I, I like I like there's a lot of data that says nightlight does absolutely nothing like that. That warming you're taking your blue out with the with screen filters or whatever. I don't care. We may talk about that later this year, but yes, you're right. It's a nighttime. It feels like night. I like to I like to turn it down at, at the nighttime. I ever, ever like what is your do you have it on in the morning? Like I I have like probably a minimum of an hour in me with nightlight on before I can turn it off. Like I cannot look at a blue, a fully blueified screen first thing in the morning. Oh, I go full eye blaster. I got uh, the ring light up here. The ring lights always set to warm though. Cause I gotta, you know, I gotta make myself not look so pasty. Well, welcome to our symposium on keyboard shortcuts and uh, monitor <laughs> color shift habits. Sure. Locking in the command line. Yes. And uh, Winget. Oh, Winget. Yeah. Well, this cold open is going to get too long, but I, I want to try Winget, but it's such a pain to install. Like if there's no there's no easy. Just click this button and get Winget. Like right now you have to opt into some preview flight. Uh, no! I, for, I forget what it is or I mean, there are multiple ways to get it, but none of them are. are it's not done. So like you can Winget yourself right over to the Microsoft store and install a thing that has Winget in it. That's what I mean, though. It's not just Winget. It's some big preview package. It's not that big. It's just Winget and Terminal. And maybe some other crap that I didn't care to read. Look, I didn't read the fact, Brad. Don't yell at me. Dude, I typed Winget into the Microsoft Store and nothing came up. No, you got it. It's called the app install package. Exactly. Or like, like I don't want, I'm not going to install the app install package. I just want Winget. Well, yeah, like you can Winget yourself some lower standards then. The app installer? The app installer, I believe, is what it's called. Wait, uh, apparently I have that installed already. <laughs> yeah, you do because you had the terminal beta from a while ago, which is how you used to get it. It's already there. You have Winget. You win got Winget a long time ago. Uh, you think that, but I just typed Winget into the terminal and nothing. <laughs> That's the exact same experience I had. I had to install a whole bunch of other nonsense from GitHub in order See? to get it to work. That's exactly why I don't have Winget. <laughs> what, you know what I needed was I needed Chocolatey to have a Winget install for me so that then I was done. Okay, let me tie this whole thing together. All right, this, this okay. cold open is about to come home. Bring it home. I have Chocolatey, which I don't mind, but I, I have just enough issues with it that I would like to try Winget. Chocolatey, you often have to run as administrator in a terminal to install things. Mm -hmm. If you hit window X, you'll pop up a, a um, start menu, right click menu where you can hit a to open a terminal in admin mode. Ooh. Uh, or if you have it on your start menu, you can hit, I believe it's control shift window and the number. Yes. Of the icon on your start menu. Oh, control and shift opens it, whatever you're opening in on the, because just Windows key plus the number yes. is so, opening the shortcut. Yes. So I think we've mentioned that before. Windows key plus the number of the icon from the left on the start menu will open that application. For things that are pinned. Yes, for things that are pinned. So if you hold, it, it's control shift window. So hold like control shift window and hit the number key of your terminal and it will, or whatever application and it will open it as admin. Well, I've just, when gotten informed about something <laughs> new. It's always be learning. Welcome to Brad and Will Made a Tech Pod. I'm Will. I'm Brad. It's an exciting day here, Will. It's it's Friday. Well, yes, it's Friday. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. <laughs> no, don't. I can't. I <laughs> look. I get why people like that account. 
It's I'm afraid it's a little past its sell by date. It's better than the Rebecca Black Friday one. That's all I'm going to say. I guess that's true. I guess that's true. I admire the spirit. Hey, what's not to like about a Friday afternoon? I love a, fr- a Friday afternoon. Like you sit back, crack open a beer. Yeah. Maybe make a gin tonic. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Go, go enjoy it. Some outside, see some fractal nature. Yeah. Sounds yeah, good. Eat some snacks. Play four or five hours of PUBG starting at eight o'clock mm. Pacific time. Like you do every weekend, every <laughs> Friday night with, except, uh, except customs instead of regular. Yeah, it's custom. So it's weird games. <laughs> that's, it's fun. That's everybody's Friday night routine. Of course. Yeah, That's what everybody does. That's just the normal thing people do. Right. Uh, but also, yes, I believe this is by our by our internationally standardized method of counting the 100th episode of this podcast. Wait, I thought it was we thought we talked about this last week. I thought this was the 101st episode. That's the that's the literal number, not the the recognized. Wait, so we have an observed number and a literal number. Look, we've we've moved to a semantic versioning scheme oh. here for this. I'm sorry. Okay, so. There are some problems I'm noticing because I have an archive of all the episodes on my hard drive. And so, uh, yes. Yeah. And we I feel like we probably had a conversation about this about somewhere just under two years ago. And we decided the file name structure for the podcast is digit digit hyphen title dot MP3. Yes. Something like that. So now we have a problem, as I understand it. Yeah. Well, so I also I archive all the audacity projects as well. <laughs> Jesus, really? I have every Audacity project for every episode of this podcast sitting right in front of me. Does that mean you have, you have individual tracks? Yes. How many? It's got to be like a terabyte at this point, right? Because they're like 600 megs each per track. I am a digital pack rat. Okay, I can't get rid of stuff. Like, wow, hashtag hoarding. In my mind, it's like, hey, with a couple of years from now, when this is the biggest podcast on the planet, and people are out there and they want lossless versions of this podcast, or like maybe we need to go back and clean up your track and not mine in episode 17. What? My track in 17 was perfect. Uh, why not have the original source material, the lossless source material? When the Library of Congress calls, we're ready. And yes, in the multi-track format, just in case. Anyway, so to date, seven zipped, each one of those projects, seven zipped, 52.1 gigabytes of... Oh, that's not bad. ...of, of TechPod source material. Uh, I, I want to know, does that mean somebody could make like a Dolby digital... Yes. Like yes. full Atmos put our, version put our, of the yes. podcast. Put our put our voices in Atmos, 64 channels. I want us to be whizzing around the theater when the <laughs> podcast like we we <laughs> if right. we ever get to do live events, I want to run out of Dolby Dolby Atmos Theater and have a, a tech pod where we're just moving around the room seamlessly during the entire conversation. It's what a weird coincidence that you mentioned that because I was thinking about doing some vocal processing on a couple of spots in this episode. Oh for, for example, when one of us says Scene drama. We wait. Scene drama. Yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see what kind of reverb effect I have to work with after this. Once we're done recording here, we'll we'll see. We'll see how those turn out. Uh, Wait, wait. Can you do it live? But I wouldn't. Would I do something like that live? That would be ridiculous. When when you look up, I know that you're looking at your high monitor, which means you're probably messing with something on that computer. Me mess with something on the uh, on the on the top computer. Scene drama. That may have gone through to your recording, but it did not come through this video call. Oh, hold on. It, it was turned off. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Scene drama. Nope. Sorry. Still nothing? Nope. Crap. Hold on. Hold on. Look. I, I got this. I believe. There's no substitute for good post-production. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go. Nope. That's 16. 14. Scene drama. Fudge. I'm sorry. We should talk. We should move on. This is... 
Whoa! <laughs> okay, do the rest of the episode like this. That's no. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know, man. Oh, wow, Scene okay. drama. Wow, there's a robot has shown up too. That's actually that one's pretty good, actually. Scene drama. All right, this podcast is probably unlistenable now. People are going to be really upset about this. I can tell you in advance. Um, that's probably true. Um, real quick before we get on with the scene drama. We just made some scene drama of our own there, I bet. Probably. I, I just really wanted to talk briefly about my or our, perhaps, astonishing lack of foresight in not putting two leading zeros on the episode number of all these Audacity projects. I we believe... St- we started out with only one leading zero, as in zero one zero two zero three, And I'm pretty sure when I put this episode 100 one in there, it's going to float to the very top, right? Or It's going to be the... Very yeah. close to it. So I think we had this conversation. We can probably go back and find the logs in Discord, but I'm pretty sure we had this conversation. And the takeaway, I I said, and I may have been wrong, but I thought it was uh, representative of man's own hubris mm-hmm. to imply that we would have 100 episodes that's, of this podcast. I think when that's we were kind of where out. I was at. That's pretty much exactly where I was at. I was like, yeah, yeah this will probably peter out somewhere in the 60s. So anyway, good job, us. Yes. Um, also, yeah. we started with seasons like. So all the all the projects are are, are named E00, E16, you know, E24 in the file name. Yeah. Originally, we had like S01E17. How long did we do that for? I don't remember for, that. For the first two, three months, I think those were there because we thought we had some weird cockamamie idea that we were going to do seasons. I thought, we, yeah, we thought we were going to have like hiatuses occasionally. Yeah. And, and then st- instead, it turns out we may, we may have missed like one week, but that's about it. Yeah, we did have a hiatus. Well, I think, I mean, it, it's not too late. We could start. I guess. I this could be the, the first episode of season two right here. People listen season to two, the, episode oh, one. Oh, sure. Yeah, I guess you're right. Then we solved the problem. We made it to 100 episodes. Yeah. Anyway, thanks everybody for listening. Yes, I guess absolutely. Is where that's, I'm at. that's what I was going to say is people seem to like this podcast. We can't, we can't stop now. No, can't stop. Won't stop. People are, people are relying on us. Uh, in fact, today we're fulfilling a promise that is long overdue. <laughs> long overdue. Uh, when we hit 2000 patrons on the Patreon a couple months ago now, we said we would do well when we hit 1700 patrons on the Patreon, we said we would do scene drama when we hit 2000 and people were really excited about that, apparently, because we hit 2000 like 15 minutes after we made the promise. <laughs> um, and then it then like all of our preparation time evaporated and we had yeah. to kind of we decided to sit and think about it. and Let's do a little bit before we uh, before we dug in. But we have. The long promised, never delivered scene drama episode until now. In hot until now, right now. Also, just a quick addendum to our naming catastrophe. Yeah, I've done enough. I've done enough shell scripting and re- and you know regular expressions and pattern matching and stuff like that that I think I could one liner this problem out of existence. You can't. No, you can't retcon this problem. I could just I can mass rename all of those zero ones to zero zero no, ones. Nope, 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 nope. This isn't this isn't Batman's unfortunate history. <laughs> this isn't this isn't uh, Han shooting first. This isn't uh, this isn't something you can simply wave your hand and say, oh, nope, not a problem. Bash scripting saves the day. Mm. This is something we have to live with. We have to learn from our mistakes. And when we mm. launch the next podcast, Brad and Will made a movie pod. <laughs> we should learn. Um, yeah. Many lessons need to be learned. <laughs> uh, don't, don't idly go into podcast is the lesson I think here. Yes. Um, not nearly as many lessons as NetGate, the makers of PF sense need to learn though. <laughs> wow. That was an incredible segue. It's almost like we've been doing this for a hundred episodes. Um, what lessons, what this is, this is, um, 
So did I think this happened after we made this promise? This was a thing. This is kind of the one to me. Like, first of all, like part of the reason we put this episode off is because we were sort of weighing how to do it or we were a little torn on like, is it a bit uncouth to like point and laugh at these like ridiculous situations of, of people behaving badly in the, well, in the tech and software world? Yeah. A uh, friend of mine offered to come on the show and read his shit posting from like the <laughs> early 2000s when he caused a bunch of scene drama. I was okay. like, I don't think that's exactly the intent that we're looking for. Yeah, I mean, we could get there. We'll see. Um, maybe later. Yeah. It'll be a special episode. Um, yes. But yeah, like for me, the scene drama has to have like a couple of components. There has to be some malfeasance. Mm-hmm. And then there has to be some righteous indignation at the suggestion of malfeasance from probably whoever did the malfeasance. And then like hopefully there's resolution, but often it turns out not so much. I, I would say definitely you want some good doubling down in there. Like you definitely want somebody who is at fault to not admit fault and to instead <laughs> dig themselves yeah. dig themselves deeper. Maybe some baseless act like tweeting through it definitely is a scene drama <laughs> yes, uh, a staple. Yes, yeah, a staple of the genre. I, I also think um, I, I also like I feel like if a lesson is learned other than maybe don't work with this company anymore, you maybe have maybe it's not really scene drama and yeah, it's just like people learning from mistakes, which is a good thing. Like, yeah, you've at that point, you're just de-escalating drama. Like nobody wants that. Yeah. Like, well, no, actually that is exactly what we want. Just <laughs> yes, to be clear. But, yes. But you know, but people but like, like, people like rubbernecking a car crash. I mean, part of the reason we took, the, like, I didn't realistically, when we made the promise to do this, I didn't think we were going to hit 2000 patrons ever. So I thought it was just an idle threat. Yeah. Cause the whole, the, like this whole concept of this episode makes me kind of uncomfortable. Cause That's I like fine. Well, no, but like, I don't, I mean, I, I like to celebrate people doing the right thing, which is making a mistake and learning from the mistake and moving on, taking those lessons to heart. I mean, and yes. scene drama is inherently against that you're, concept. You're, you're right. I mean, like if, if there's anything the world does not need more of, it's gleeful negativity. Jesus. Yeah. But again, these people are really behaving poorly in and, most and, of these cases. And also there's a at least the stuff that we picked out to talk about today is I don't want to say victimless because none of it's victimless, but like. Probably nobody got hurt physically or yeah. maybe even monetarily. Um, maybe monetarily. I don't know. All right. It's it's complicated. Okay, so we're gonna start with with PF Sense. Yeah, I mean I'm torn between this and the ubiquity stuff, but I, I think for my money, this is the most astonishing thing on this list. This like, this one has some real implications. So okay, so there's PF Sense. We've talked about it before. We had Wes from our, our friend of the show, Wes Fenlon, yeah, on PC Gamers, Wes Fenlon, yes, yeah. to talk about. Uh, he built a, a PF Sense machine. Actually, do you know what? I forgot to even roll the original PF Sense drama into this. Like this goes back Wait, years. What's the original PF oh Sense drama? I almost feel like we have to stop so you can read. Okay, years ago. So PF Sense is based on uh, a very old open source project, I believe, called MonoWall. I am pulling this from memory. Forgive me if I if I get any of this stuff wrong. That MonoWall is okay. very old. It's FreeBSD based. It's like a very old, respected FreeBSD based firewall. And PFSense was forked from that. PFSense has been around for years. It's very well respected. But at a point, something happened in the PFSense community, like some some years ago, three, four or five years ago. And you may have heard of OpenSense. I think we've yeah. talked about it. Yeah, I remember OpenSense. So OpenSense is a fork of PFSense forked by people who didn't really agree with the direction that PFSense was going. Okay. Now, this is a this is a component of scene drama we should have talked about before Forking. that I love. Like, like open source scene drama when somebody's like, fuck you, I'm just taking this and going to do something else and make it good. The spiteful fork. Yeah, the spiteful fork. Like sometimes it's a sometimes it's like 
Like there's a GIMP fork, the open source Photoshop yes. clone. Uh, it's called I the name always escapes me, which like it's called Glimpse. It's a Glimpse. fork of Glimpse. Glimpse. Of GIMP. That's right. That's right. Because just to be clear, GIMP is a fucking terrible name in 2021. Yeah, it's it was a clear. bad name when the project started, but it's it's. Yeah, <laughs> I have taken to, to referring to it as the GNU image manipulation program. <laughs> yeah, OK, fair. That's like when the dog pees on the floor and you rub the dog's face in it. To be to be clear, I have never actually done that to a dog and would not. No, you but, should not do that to the dog. But I, but I feel like I feel like if they're going to name their thing that I'm just going to make them listen to the entire name every time. Yeah, well, you should actually do the whole uh, what the abbreviation, which is not an abbreviation for GNU is also. Uh, what is GNU is not GNU Unix? is not Unix image manipulation program. GNU, see, that just is an infinite regress, <laughs> yeah, right? That's never that's just, that, that never stops recursing. So yeah. I just say that over and over and over. Yeah, there you um, go. Okay, OpenSense forked off of PFSense at some point. So open source, uh, FreeSense. Hold on, MonoWall begat OpenSense, and OpenSense begat very old PFSense. And also, I want to say that the yes, I've got this right. The the O's are not O's in MonoWall; they're zeros. If you want yeah, to their URL is maybe the worst URL <laughs> I've ever seen because it's m zero n zero dot ch slash wall. Yes. Oh, they're endorsing OpenSense now. Yeah. If you go to the MonoWall website, they are straight up linking you to OpenSense. I think that is pretty telling. Like, so, like the, one of the things about scene drama is it has all of the all of the drama of like an IRC net split channel takeover from like 1995. Yes. When like there's a big F net split, which is where the servers get out of sync with each other for a few minutes. And like one of your favorite channels is empty and a bunch of people will move in and drop their bots in to try to maintain op after the the, the servers reconnect. It is 100 anyway. percent that it is 100 percent that I am utilizing my newfound knowledge and putting a link in this Google Doc and typing control K. Yep. And now you can click on that link and go see what happened between PFSense and OpenSense. The short version is the PFSense people did not take kindly at all to it being forked yeah. by, by people with different opinions. And they went out and registered OpenSense.com before the actual OpenSense people could and put <laughs> and put up like, are you looking at this page? Like they put up like some of the most like pathetic <laughs> mudslinging slander on this website. <laughs> We have features, but that's not what's important. When we fork a stable enterprise proven software project, we strip out most of the important functionality. It's just there. Just, it's just also the Hitler meme is on here from down, downfall. Like they, they put that in this page. Wow. It's it is. It's made to look like a real official open sense homepage, but it's it's nothing but like a feature list that is nothing but talking shit about this fork of their product and likening them to Nazi or using, you know, using this ridiculous Nazi meme. Like it's pathetic. Wow, what we do on our off time, and it's a picture of a guy riding like a hobby horse at a kid's park. Right. And for all I know, that might be one of the actual OpenSense developers. Like they, these people see the, the PFSense people seem petty enough to go out and track down photos of the actual developers and put them up like that. Like wow, that is a high level of spite. That, OK, this is maybe this is maybe better scene drama because like what was the original fuss over? Do you remember over? You mean the, the why, fork? Like why, why the fork and the and the, I, the spiteful I've never, website? I, I've never seen a great explanation of that beyond like they just thought I, I want to say they maybe thought the project was too conservative, like it wasn't adding features fast enough or something like that. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was anything like I, I don't think it was anything that contentious. Like you, yo, I didn't have commit flags, so I'm just going to fork my own version and pull all the other people without commit flags to start rolling up. Wow. Okay. They went to court over this, if I'm not mistaken. I'm, to, I'm, they, they filed complaints with the WIPO, which is the World Inter Intellectual Property Organization, is my understanding. They sought arbitration, which which went in their favor, <laughs> because of course it would. Yeah. Um, I, I Who think is they in this case, open sense, open sense. real open sense or fake open sense, oh, real I mean, open sense. I mean, fake, fake open sense, fake open sense was just PF sense. Um, 
Oh. Yes, that's who was putting up this fake pet website was the PFSens people. Like, and they they also like astroturfed on Reddit, if I'm not mistaken. I think they went and like posted some anyway. This stuff. So maybe maybe old. Netgate, the company that makes PFSense, is bad. Is this what is, I'm thinking at this point, Brad. That's kind of that's the pretext. That's the the the, the backstory here. This was 2016, I believe, that all that went down. But then, dude, like we haven't gotten to the stuff from this year. So Netgate is the company that you know basically runs PFSense, even though it's an open source product. Uh, product like they put out. A bunch of little boxes that run the that run the software. Yeah, like they make appliances, right? That you can run PFSense on. It's one of the open source business ways is yes. that you start. You either sell services like maintenance contracts and security updates and stuff like like consulting, yeah. or you sell a product that that uses the the hardware or both the software. Yeah. Like or like both. You, yeah. Yes, but but the the core software product generally is free, and that yeah, you're right. That's how they make their money. So okay, uh, PFSense commissioned a software developer to port WireGuard, which is a very new, modern, like super efficient VPN protocol. Yeah, or or product package to PFSense. That's correct. Which essentially means that they're porting it to FreeBSD because that's what PFSense is underneath. It, it, well, the the thing I my understanding is that WireGuard needed kernel access to BSD, so. In order to do this, they needed a BSD kernel developer who had like net, low level networking experience because you're essentially making making a kernel level network interface for BSD yes. that yeah. uses the WireGuard tunneling protocol. You're right. Encrypted I, tunneling protocol. I, I don't I don't remember exactly. I think that you're right. There might have been a user space implementation of WireGuard for FreeBSD already. And they my guess is that there's performance issues or something with that. It doesn't. Yeah, there definitely are. Not to get too into the weeds, but the WireGuard people just put out a kernel level Windows version of WireGuard because oh. they had a user space version and like the performance increase was massive. It was like 25% or something. So, so they right. hired they hired this guy, Matthew Macy, um, who is a BSD contributor or, or has been at one time. Yeah, maybe, see, maybe, seems maybe, like it. It seems like maybe he hadn't contributed in a while because he had been up to some other things. Okay, so not to like, you know, he had some legal issues that weren't result was the result of software behavior. Uh, yeah. But he spent four years in jail because he was a bad land, uh, like a, 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 uh, felonious level of bad landlord. Yes. Landlords from hell. Or how in San Francisco. Had, so, hey, he, I can see that. Yes, this this ABC story describes him and his wife as landlords from hell, because if I remember, they were they were terrorizing their tenants, essentially, like by doing things like cutting a hole in the floor of one of their tenants apartments. And I believe they pulled a gun on somebody. They removed floor joists so that the, the house would be condemned. All right. of this. It was like I've heard some insane San Francisco landlord stories, but this one was really <laughs> it's really above and beyond. And, um, and also, if I'm not mistaken, he fled the country. Correct. Before he was. That is that is. Yeah, that is my understanding. The, was extradited from Italy. Yes. I believe, like he, he fled the to like, Sars Technic article. Like just just purely based on his flight from the law, based on <laughs> based on the fact that this story includes an international fugitive from justice. I feel like that automatically makes this the worst scene drama in this episode. I think. Well. I think that's not the thing that makes this the worst scene drama. I think or, that the, or the most dramatic, let me put it that way. That is, is definitely the most like sensational. Well, so, so, okay. We don't need to get into the specifics. There's an Ars technical article that we'll link that tells you basically the gist, but like there's some really obvious stuff, like not accounting for jumbo frames on network packet setups that cause kernel panics and things like that. It, it was like to back up or to give the 10,000 foot view. Like it was a very poor buggy, insecure implementation of WireGuard. To the point that the actual WireGuard developer, like he seems to have been very diplomatic through this whole thing, but he also came out and and like 
a lot of people came out and said, this is not production ready. This is not acceptable in any sense of the word to be included in the FreeBSD kernel, which is like, you know, an extremely <laughs> well-respected and like critical piece of infrastructure for a lot of companies. Okay, so there's the bad code, which is not great. Then there's also some other stuff that happened. PFSense took the the submission and backported it to the current version of BSD that they use on their appliances so and made it available immediately so when people were like hey there's a bunch of there's a bunch of uh, vulnerabilities in this in this wireguard implementation that's been checked into the kernel but not actually released yet it was yes. in a pre-release version i believe uh, it was I, if i'm not mistaken uh, it was 13 i think yes it was committed for freebsd 13 which had not released at the time so it never made it to proper freebsd but but it did make it into pfsense which was that, released well yeah and the problem is when they release the list of vulnerabilities, it immediately makes all those PF sense boxes potentially vulnerable right. to the the exploits added by this by this um, this uh, uh, this code, and it ends up in a like BSD is in a situation where like nobody running pre release BSD should be running on prod machines is their official policy, but these PF sense machines were presumably production machines, and and like it's a security problem at that point, so. Yeah. I don't know who's right or wrong there. Like, like it seems like it seems like like NetGate is maybe not an awesome company. Well, I mean, there you know this this goes on and on and on. So like the developer of WireGuard, Jason Donenfeld, I believe is his name, mm -hmm. came out of nowhere. Kind of an innocent and in, like just yes. gets looped and in, roped into this whole scene drama. It actually gets worse because he produced multiple email threads with Kip Macy, the guy who wrote this bad the felon who wrote the bad, like the, the, the bad landlord who wrote the bad code. No, no, that's Matt. Uh, he goes Matt. by Kip, Matt oh, Macy. Right, but right. Like you, you find, you okay. see him referred to as Kip Macy quite a bit here, but got it. Uh, Donenfeld, the, the actual WireGuard creator produced a bunch of email threads over the last like year where he had offered to help Macy with the free PST implementation. And they had oh. been like, nah, like they kind of brushed him off. Ooh. So he kind of came out of the woodwork and rewrote this entire module in like a week or two. With, yeah, with a couple other people, it said, and, and, yeah. and like got it where it needed to be and, and recommitted it to the kernel. And like that stuff all seems to be taken care of. But on the flip side, the people who run NetGate really just circled the wagons around this bad code they had put out in like a pretty embarrassing way. Right. Yeah, that seems right. In a way that would make me not want to use their products, I would say, as a consumer of this type of product. Yes. Uh, I, I meant to get these posts in front of me. So. I mean, really, the larger, the the big question. So the thing that came out of this that was interesting to me, and the the lesson to learn, I guess, is that there's often not a lot of code review that goes into both Linux and BSD, like even core kernel elements, like network implementations and stuff like that. Yes. Um, in a way that makes me wonder how many nation states are embedding people on these open source volunteer, often volunteer teams. To, you know, just you know, put up whatever useful stuff is in there. If, yeah. if, if like nobody's reviewing code that goes into BSD kernels and, and there's like the same thing happened with Linux a few months ago, yes. you pointed out with the yes. University of Minnesota thing. So, yeah, like this, this definitely kind of looked to me, at least, I mean, you know, I'm kind of a layman. I'm not an open source developer, but I follow this stuff and it kind of did look like some egg on the face of the FreeBSD community. Um, well, I mean, then, they caught it before it went out to the well, public. Yes, though. yes, obviously. Yes. But but it did. It did make it through. It had been committed. Um, I guess that's true. 
Um, but and then so what happened with Linux in a kind of similar situation, the University of Minnesota was found to like they essentially referred to it as a study they were running. They were they were intentionally submitting problematic code to the Linux kernel. I don't know if it was vulnerabilities or what the what the problems were exactly, but like it was they were essentially like kind of testing. I, I don't know if this counts as penetration testing, but they were like testing the code review processes of the Linux kernel developers to see if they could get bad code in there. And they sure enough did. And then they got blacklisted from, well, sorry, uh, they banned from posting, uh, submitting code to the Linux kernel yes, indefinitely. That, that was the Linux community's response was, well, you can never submit code to the kernel again, which is understandable, but the like doesn't solve the larger problem, I guess. Yeah, I did. I did a fair amount of reading about both these situations at the time. And I think what I got from it was the enlightened position that I got from this ultimately was like, like, yeah, no shit. Some of these vulnerabilities got through because these are like all volunteer communities with like a, a chronic lack of eyeballs to do proper code review. And like there's a certain presumption of good faith on the part of people who are submitting code to projects like this. Yeah. And like that doesn't close the it doesn't address the issue of like bad actors necessarily slipping stuff in there. But like they don't really have a choice but to rely on the goodwill of the people who are doing work for them. Well, I think I think part of the problem is that if you are if you are in a position and have the expertise to do a code review and look and see if things are, you know, working as intended or bad actors or just bugs, probably you could also be writing code and there's always an infinite amount of code to be written. It yes. seems like. Yes. Um, this seems like a solution that could easily be solved by the multi-trillion dollar, com- multiple, sorry, trillion dollar companies that use open source software to make billions and billions of dollars a year dedicating some resources to this. Yes. Yes. But I mean, you know, that gets into that opens a different can of worms of like, should corporations like, yes, corporations who are profiting massively from all this free work should support it. But like, and and they do, but in a lot of cases, they do. do. Like, in fact, a lot of them are the biggest contributors to these projects in terms of code as well as like financial support. But then you get into that thorny issue of like our corporations exerting undue influence on these projects by contributing a lot of money to them, you know? Well, I mean, they're definitely like if you if you're Google and you hire a developer to write, you know, software for the Linux kernel, you're definitely exerting influence because, you know, you're you're spending your company's resources to add human power to well, the to the project. I I, th- I feel like I would draw a distinction between submitting code and offering money because yeah. code, code trickles down to everybody. If they add features, if they do good work on those projects, everyone benefits from that directly by having access to that software. Right. But like. If they are just pumping a bunch of money into things, that's where you get into the weird gray area of like, are they, you know, are, are they able to influence the people that they are supporting in a more like a, like a fuzzier kind of way? That's fair. The last thing I was going to say, we didn't get into this enough. And I, I, I NetGate's response to this stuff is where the drama really like went into overdrive because they essentially blamed everybody but themselves for this stuff. Like they blamed the WireGuard developer. They blamed the other people who like exposed the vulnerabilities. Like they basically treated themselves like the victims in this situation. They tried to post through it. They absolutely tried to blog through it in like some really long, like, like the PF sense Reddit subreddit was a disaster for like weeks after this. Like it was nothing but people saying like, well, how do I install open sense? Like where's (laughs) where's everybody moving to? Like it was like an entire, looked like an entire community abandoning this project in mass. Wow. They just, they just did not. Like the last paragraph of this, this NetGate blog they put up. So what have I learned from this? I've learned to be a little less trusting. Well, that's a, that's probably not the right lesson. I've learned to be more proactive in defending against people who have ulterior motives. I've learned that Mm. people who emphatically say that they're here to help often aren't. 
Again, remember, he's talking about the people who exposed the vulnerabilities in the product and code that they themselves commissioned. Oh, not the person who wrote the bad code. No, no, they're not. No, they defended their software author. They defended the product. They defended all of it. They they absolutely painted themselves as the victims and acted like the entire rest of the world was out to get them. (laughs) Like, I'm telling you, in terms of torching your company's reputation, it's really impressive in like in like a month, a period of like six weeks or something. It does right? not get more dire than this. Like I was just astonished watching this happen. That's uh yeah, that's a choice. All right. Yeah, for sure. Looking at the subreddit, it seems to have settled down. They seem to, you know, whoever left probably was going to leave. Whoever went to OpenSense or, you know, ViOS or whatever has done so. <sighs> but I mean, presumably there's a bunch of people who just buy the boxes off the shelf and right. don't know that all this is happening in the back end. Um, yes. Speaking of networking stuff seems to attract this kind of drama. <laughs> wow. That's that exactly louder than I expected. That's exactly. Well, you have to normalize this later. So yeah, I know you. this is my problem I've made. Uh, that's pretty close to the effect I was actually looking for. Uh, we'll see how it turns out. But uh, yeah, it turns out when you put your all of your precious hardware and the information therein onto a worldwide network and give people like poorly guarded points of ingress you know at least a lot of ugly situations well it turns out that uh, cloud services are hard who knew yeah. yes i guess so so um so we're gonna talk about ubiquity now i guess yes. so do you want to do you want to step us through this krebs on security article yeah so uh this one is interesting because there were this one this one has something we haven't talked about I, we, we have a whistleblower here yes um but it happened this started in december 2020 uh, with a breach that was uh, basically basically the TLDR here is that there was a security breach of the new cloud service that it seems like the users of the ubiquity software or hardware maybe aren't super keen on in the first place. Yeah, Ubiquity uh, maker maker of like kind of prosumer routers and access points, like sort of one foot. small business, yeah. small to mid-sized business, like, yeah, they, one, like one, yeah. one, one foot in the enterprise world, but still like affordable and like usable at home. Yeah, and and they've been moving people from the old line of hard, especially the small the small business side, from the old line of hardware into these more kind of cloud managed things that are more analogous. You know, it's it's the analog of moving from like the like a old Linksys router where you log in with a website thing to like a Google Home router right. or a Eero or something like that where you have like an app on your phone. Yeah, we're essentially talking about making an account on their servers in their system so that. You can access your stuff at home from elsewhere, but but through by proxy through their system, right? Like they, yeah, they have got credentials and an authorization to get into your network hardware at home. And and let's see, that immediately before all this stuff came out, like the community was already starting to get a little upset because they started putting ads in the yes, in so, the admin interface. So th- this is like essentially what we're talking about here is ubiquity's no good, very bad week. Because it was <laughs> yeah, literally like fair. like two days before this Krebs article. Uh, yeah, people were super mad on places like Reddit because Ubiquity had started granted ads only for their other products, not for other companies. But they were yeah. upselling. They were pushing ad units into their uh, the controller software for their home network stuff, upselling you on other more expensive products that they make. And And like, just to be clear. My router is probably the very, very, very last place that I ever want to see ads, mm-hmm. mainly because, I mean, I have a thing that sits beside my router that takes all of the ads out of my <laughs> network. Uh-huh. Um, so 
helpful. Yeah. yeah. Please also, no ads. Also, it's Don't critical infrastructure. Like it is a, yeah. as far as your home network goes, it's about as critical as it gets. Like, let's just keep it all business, please. Uh, like a large number of our problems are because in the late nineties, we chose to allow advertisers to pay money to run arbitrary code on our computers. Yeah. And it turns out that was probably a mistake. So yeah. Yeah. anyway, here we are. Yes. So, so uh, that had just happened a couple days before this Krebs story. Also, I will say like, I think ubiquity's fortunes have been in decline in a lot of people's eyes for like a number of months or years at this point. Yeah. Because like I have, a, I have an edge router four that I really like, and they have all but abandoned that ed, the the edge max line. You can't like, even find them on the, like you have to really like, dig to find those on like, their site now. Like the, all supposedly all of their engineers, their software engineers left because the version two um, Linux release for the edge routers was a complete disaster, like buggy mess for. Ugh. So they've been very poorly supporting some of their product lines. They're just pushing into this prosumer, like really sleek manicured yeah. home networking stuff instead of the really kind of <laughs> crusty gray beard stuff they used to make, but. They still have serial ports on all their hardware. Uh, probably on all the newer stuff. Okay, I would, I would say I do have a serial cable connected to mine. So okay, so here here's on January 11th of this year, they released a notice that said they became become aware of an unauthorized access to certain information. Uh, sorry, certain of our information technology systems hosted by a third party cloud provider, although it declined to name the third party. Now, what they really meant there. Uh, according to the whistleblower, was the attackers had gained administrative access to Ubiquity's servers at Amazon's cloud service, which is like the equivalent of having hardware level access in a like hardware colo or something like that. So they had so they'd gotten the keys, the cryptographic keys that would let people get access to uh, the raw the the VMs that run the cloud service on Amazon. So it wasn't an Amazon breach that made their machines accessible. It was a them breach was, yes. for their machines that were hosted on Amazon. Which the words are the same, but they're in a different it's, order that changes the <laughs> meaning pretty dramatically. I mean, my layman's understanding of this is they got everything. Like they got about as much access to this system as they could get, and it was entirely Ubiquity's negligence that caused it. For what seems like a pretty long time, maybe yeah, like, like they knew about this. So like one of the rules of this uh, in this space, in like the security space, is that when you find out there's a breach, you notify as fast as you can while being safe. And you also take take steps like often you'll log into a site and it'll be like, hey, your password, We you have to change your password. Here's why. And then there's a link you probably don't click that tells you that they had some sort of breach or something like that. And they reset everybody's passwords so that you can't use the old, you know, suspect passwords to get into the systems. Yes. So they didn't they didn't invalidate all the old passwords. They basically popped a thing up that says, hey, you should change your password, probably. And um, the intruders put a couple of back doors in the system, one which they knew about and told everybody about. And we're like, hey. Uh, if you send us 50 Bitcoin, we'll tell you about the other back door and not tell anybody about this breach. Right. That's two point eight million dollars at the time in, in U.S. U.S. Uh, currency. Um, Ubiquity didn't pay the money. Uh, they found the second back door eventually and they re- rotated credentials for all employees before they started alerting customers about the need to reset the password it took several days, right. this whole thing. And again, that notification, to be clear, that notification they put out that you should change your password was by no means adequate to address the actual breach that happened. Right. Like the, so the problem, the problem is at this point, presumably every single customer of the ubiquity cloud managed hardware is uh, like they're they're all their hardware is potentially in at risk at this point. Right. Like the the accusations of this whistleblower are that the breach was just massively more severe than Ubiquity let on and that they covered it up 
to protect their share price. Yeah. Their stock price, not to not, you know, not in any way to protect the security of their customers. Um, so so and since the breach presumably also included like firmware source code because they got access to 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 their to their uh, uh, code management and all that stuff, like presumably they could have installed backdoors on people's routers and stuff like that. And like your advice is to ditch all of your old profiles and rebuild everything from scratch from the security community. Yeah. If you're using these devices, if I, let's see, if I understand correctly here, another aspect of this is that they did not have like full kind of access logging set up on a lot of the database and data stuff that was in these instances. Well, so they said that they had no evidence right. that consumer information was accessed. So that was another but, one of those selective omission things, right? Where like they had no evidence that the information was accessed because they have no way to tell if the information was accessed or not because they didn't have logging set up on it. I mean, okay. So just to be clear, sometimes not logging stuff is really good. Like I'm really happy that Signal doesn't run logs on their, on their, like the meta, so there's no metadata that describes how often you and I communicate on signal, right? Sure. Like that's a good case for not logging. Yes, absolutely. This is probably a bad case yeah. for not logging yes. from what I can tell. I'm yeah. not an expert. Doesn't sound good to me. I, I like to spend a lot of time in the networking channel on our discord. There are a lot of very smart people in there and a lot of them work in InfoSec and, you know, adjacent networking uh-huh. fields. <laughs> I feel like the entire week that this got out, it was just nothing but like jaws dropping in that, in that uh, channel at the gross negligence that led to this. Never mind the like corporate malfeasance of not informing the customer base properly. Like people were just like, and like the the comments on this Krebs story are the same way of people are just like astonished that their security was poor enough to allow this to happen in the first place. Well, yeah. Well, so I guess the question is what ended up like, there's no, they didn't, I mean, they kind of posted through it, but they posted through it in a slightly smarter way than our friends at PF sense did. <laughs> I guess this is the argument against you that like the ba- the really the worst thing of all of this is that I think the initial vector was that somebody got access to a former Ubiquity IT employee's LastPass account, which had all of these credentials in it. Yes. And as a result, they were able to to like, you know, get through this. This is a probably an argument in, in for corporations, especially people that deal low level security stuff like router and networking hardware people to maybe pay for corporate. Like I'm going to get nuts here, but maybe, maybe instead of letting somebody use their personal LastPass account to store all of your business in, maybe pay for the corporate ones. You can turn <laughs> off the account when they maybe, quit, take maybe, that data back. Maybe. I don't know. Ubiquity made a billion dollars last year from what I, from what I'm reading. Oof. A lot of routers. They could um, probably, they could probably pay for the, yes. Um, uh, I, I hope that they learn from this, but it seems like they maybe haven't. So I don't know. I don't I don't, I don't see any indication that they have. I, I think that, mm-hmm. again, it seems like they are pivoting to target a customer base that probably would not know, you know, certainly does not read Krebs on security on a daily basis to know about things like this. I do like that they, that they draw lines between which switch is plugged into which device, though, on the on the fancy tablet they've, UI. They've got some nice diagrams. They've got it's some cool, cool stuff. Like they've got some cool stuff. Like a lot of people on our display, like I said, I have an edge router and one of their Unify access points. Like I enjoyed using them. Like they're not bad products. Yeah. But the leadership of the company seems suspect at best. I don't anticipate buying any more Ubiquity products. After in the wake of this, not that I need any more networking stuff anytime soon, but yeah, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a fine choice. Why is this stuff always network stuff? Can we talk about the, the Linksys GPL stuff? Sure. I mean, that's probably the oldest example we could find. It's the first time I remember somebody getting pissed off 
a, with an actual company versus like some other open source project about GPL violations. Okay. And I'm sure that there's an older one. Like I'm absolutely positive that there's stuff, but this is a, a, a post on the LKML, which I think the Linux kernel maintainer list uh, or maybe mailing list. I can't remember. Uh, from June 8th, 2003 is the slash dot post. Uh, but the post says, sorry for the very lengthy posting, but I want to be as precise as possible in describing this problem. A while ago, I mentioned that the Linksys WRT54G wireless access point used several GPL projects in its firmware, but did not seem to have any of the source available or acknowledge the use of the GPL software. Obviously, if you use open source, you know, GPL licensed software, in your projects, you're supposed to share the code that you generate that's attached yes. to that and, and everything else downstream, publish what you use, etc. Four weeks ago, I spoke with an employee at Linksys who confirmed that the system did use Linux and also mentioned that he would work with his management to ensure that the source was released. Unfortunately, my emails to this individual over the past three weeks have gone unanswered. Of course, I also tried contacting Linksys through their common public email accounts, blah, 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 to no avail. Um... It's hard for me to know if the contact has just gone on a three-week vacation or has been asked to not answer any more email on the subject, uh, blah, 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 blah. Don't own the project, can't actually test. The upshot is, hey, here are the problems. You can look in the firmware. You can see what they're using. You can do checksums and all that. And there's no upshot. This is this was, this. We, I remember talking about this when I was at Maximum PC. This was a, the, like, this was... A, this is the beginning of things like DDWRT and Tomato, the mm-hmm. the open source router firmwares, because yes. once they realized that, oh, this is just based on the GPL, and once Linksys eventually came around and started posting the stuff they were supposed to, then people were able to just write their own firmware, and you could get rid of the crappy Linksys software and run crappy open source software instead. <laughs> sure. I mean, you could do a lot more stuff, but it was still, you know, it was rough for a long time. Um, I, I just... I don't I don't know. I mean, there was drama at the time. I don't think that I'm sure there was mailing list drama. I did not dig into the mailing lists here to see what the LKML had to say about about the project at the time, because the threads are incredibly lengthy. Yeah. Like, it's just like what? And it ranges from like straight indignation to, oh, wait, that means there's that means there's uh, drivers for all of these Broadcom wireless controllers that are in there that we can then roll back up into the, into the, into the Linux when they release the source code for yes. this stuff. And should we even deal with these people? They're clearly monsters and like, you know, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that just get back, gets back to the same thing I was talking about of people that work on and shepherd these projects are very protective of them. Well, especially back then too. Like yeah. GPL was, I mean, GPL wasn't new, but Linux was still pretty new. And yeah. This was like just 10 years old, a little over point. 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I don't know that they're any less protective now. Oh no, I'm sure not. Uh, I'm sure not. So I I mean, I guess there's a couple, we have, we have more scene drama we could get to. We're kind of out of time. We're getting close though. Um, what are you, what are you like? Is there a happy takeaway from this or is this just like a cost of doing business in the open source Hmm. slash, you know, for-profit business world yeah when you ask that question now i'm sitting here trying to think like do you see this kind of drama in the closed source more commercial space i guess because those companies are closed by nature they are allowed to not let their dirty laundry out in public right so but you do see like corporate espionage stuff and you see people like you see people saying oh hey you 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 took our blah 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 or you're infringing on our copyright for your logo or whatever but yeah it's, it's a weird it's a weird side effect of 
open source specifically. There, there's the FFmpeg versus New Tech thing, which has maybe the most open source community responding to a GPL <laughs> violation response I've ever seen. Yes. Where this this person who works at New Tech is like, hey, we'd love to make this right. What can we do to help? Can you contact us and let us know what we should be doing? And the person's like, no, I'd rather be writing, fixing bugs than dealing with you. You fucking figure out how to fix the problem that you made. Right. Also, this is your problem, not ours. If I'm not mistaken. So New Tech was distributing pre-compiled builds of binaries of FFmpeg, which is an explicit licensing violation. Yes. I believe they, they could have just stopped including those binaries with their with their SDK and resolve the problem. But the FFmpegs people's, if I'm not mistaken, their solution was, hey, why don't you just open source your entire library? Like, just make it free. Like, just put all the source code for your library, your closed source library out there. Like, that's, I believe that was the actual resolution they wanted. They were like, expose all your trade secrets. Well, I mean, but the the point of the GP, I mean, this is why, this is why a lot of places you're not allowed to use GPL, use GPL code, right? Is because the GPL is, is, people call it viral. I'm not a lawyer, yeah. and nor am I a licensing person. We should have somebody who understands software yes, licensing I come would, on and I talk would, about this at some I point. Would, this, this is the most this podcast thing ever, but I would absolutely spend an hour talking to an expert about software I know somebody licensing. We can, we can, I, I know people we can talk to about that, but I, I feel like um, like a lot of companies I've worked at and, and actually people I consulted when we were doing Foo were like, hey, don't use GPL code in your stuff because you'll it'll cause you problems later, potentially. I was like, okay. So we didn't use GPL code. This is why MIT license and BSD license and stuff like that are more permissive and allow you to then like use the open source code, publish the changes for the code that you're using and not the changes for all the code that it touches. Right. Um, and I, I, I mean, ultimately the right thing for NDI probably to do, I mean, for new tech to do was to open source NDI because then they would be the standard and would have had a multi-year head start on traversing networks with large IP. They would have had a big team of people working on their stuff mm -hmm. and they probably would have gotten out in front of the open RTMP stuff or whatever the, the SRT. new thing is. SRT, well, there, there yeah. are multiple. Like SRT is not the only one. It's just, but it's the one that got open sourced years ago. Yeah, it's of uh, the post, it's the RTMP it's successor um, protocol. Successors, yes, yes, yeah. yes. But but yes, specifically the company that developed that open sourced it and and because of that, it's in OBS, it's been it's in vMix, like it's in it's everywhere. It's in FFmpeg. Yeah. It's in like everything that people use for this stuff because they put the source out. Whereas like, I mean, NDI is in a lot of that stuff too, but like the applications are a lot more inflexible, I think, or like what can be done with it is, is entirely at new text discretion, not at the discretion of anyone who can download the code and do something with it. Well, yeah. And also it's still limited to inside your NAT, you know, yeah. one subnet, et cetera, yeah. like all that kind of stuff. Yes. So anyway, um, oh, and also it's made more complicated by the fact that NDI was sending nasty grams to open source developers who were reverse engineering NDI, right. NDI protocol right. to do open source implementations. I think, I think so, that's where a lot of the ire actually came from on the part of the FFmpeg people was like, well, you're, that seems right. you are perfectly happy to cease and desist people who are, who you think are violating your, your product's integrity, but then you turn around and use our free code that we do for free, however you want and flat uh, the licensing and whatever. Yeah. I, I'm sad. We don't have time to fully dig into the chair drama. Maybe that's the patron episode. this uh, month. Maybe it is for whatever reason. Like you said, all the drama we got into on this one uh, is around open source projects. And like even the ones we didn't get into, like the stuff that happened with the mister a few months still ago, open source projects, the, the, the evil Ram, the bad Ram fiasco with the mister still an open source project. 
That all resolved nicely, though, didn't it? Didn't everybody end up nice? They de-escalated. They de-escalated. They, I believe everybody sort of reached an accord on that one. I like that. Everybody, everybody became more or less friendly again. I like de-escalation much more than 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 the posting through it. Posting through it. Just to be clear, if this ever happens to you, don't post through it. It's the wrong way to go. But it never works no, out. No, but the chair drama. I. Hmm. What's what's the high point? You want to save it? Uh, I'll the tease. We have, unfortunately, a little bit of a short recording window this week, but uh, I bought this office chair. I bought this refurbished steel case Leap V2 uh-huh. a few months ago. And of Fine course, chair. of course, I spent a good amount of time on the R office chair subreddit. The, the Reddit's number one source for fine office chair information. Uh, maybe we will save this for the patron episode. I don't know. We should get back to this because it's really insane and hilarious. But the. Uh, the CEO or one of the high ups at one of the two companies I was thinking about ordering the chair from. Yeah. And a Smurf account, like an anonymous account, Reddit account that is universally believed to be affiliated with the other company that I was thinking about buying the chair from. What? Trolling each other and sniping at each other in the most juvenile way across that subreddit across like two years of posts because I was searching for the chair I wanted to buy to see find posts and see people talking about it. This this Smurf account referring to I don't uh, no actually it is the CEO of Crandall and B Todd are the two companies and like the Smurf account referring to the CEO of uh, of of B Todd as as Pizza Boy Greg all the time and mocking them about some legal trouble that they're in wow and, and the actual representative of B Todd coming out and saying like oh we're at it again Crandall why don't you just post under your real name like calling them out directly for being their competitor. Who was anonymously slandering their company? Yeah, it's dude. It's like post after post of this stuff. Like it's crazy. Like they just like why? Why it was so over the top that you you look at it and you almost go like, is this viral marketing? Is this an ARG? Like, are they trying to drum up awareness of both of their companies because this seems too ridiculous it's, to it's be the real? Deus Ex coffee thing. Remember the day the second it was the second Deus Ex game, the one the Harvey Smith one, where there were two competing coffee chains. And then you get spoilers, by the way, for a 20 year old video game. Mm. You get to the end. It's the same company that runs both of those coffee chains. So so in this case, they had done business together before they had done of business course. where I believe like one was refurbishing chairs for the other and then the other one was reselling them. And they had they had, had an acrimonious split, I believe. And it's funny because you see reps from both companies like uh, engaging with their customers in the most informative and, and, and you know, jovial way. Like they're very, uh, very polite, very professional. Oh. But then they keep getting into these tangles with each other in the middle of the subreddit. These two chair companies trolling each other. Oh, you know, seating magnates. You know how they get. You get you get around all that foam and it just messes with your head, man. <laughs> the high octane world of office chair yeah. refurbishing. Look, you, you put too many rollerblade wheels on, on too many chairs. You just can't slow down. It's just rollerblade wheels and cocaine all night long. I we are not actually implying that anyone that works in the office chair refurbishing business is using rollerblade wheels. Or cocaine. No, certainly not. I'm just. You know. Um, I want to tell you about barbecue drama, but I'm going to save that for the patron episode for for our wonderful patrons. Yes. Who, as always, thank you, patrons, for uh, supporting the show. Uh, our brand will made a tech pod is, as we all know, a 100 uh, percent patron supported show, uh, and we continue to do this every week for you all, our wonderful patrons. We love we love you guys. Yeah. You're fantastic. Thank you for listening to our nonsense. Yeah. And, and like kind, generous and nice smelling, I would say. Yeah. Um, but a special thanks to our executive producer to your patrons, Andrew Slowski, the bunny fiend, Jacob Chapel, Joel Krauska, Twinkle Twinkie, David Allen and James Kimmick. Thank you all so much for your support. We appreciate it so, so much. Um, 
I had a lovely chat this morning on the Discord, Brad. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about gaming chairs. Oh. Um, and somebody was like, hey, can you do a thing about the technology of gaming chairs? I was like, we don't even need to do an episode about that. I can just tell you right now. They're they're aftermarket car seats with a with <laughs> wheels and arms glued onto them. Is that are you are you being um are you generalizing or are they literal car seats? For the most part, the place where the that universal gaming bucket seat that everybody on Twitch has, mm-hmm. they're aftermarket car seats they're that actual, are rebadged. Actual car seats, holy shit. With the shit. right frame to put a post on. Holy shit. And armrests glued onto wow. them. Wow. Now, there are exceptions. Uh-huh. Um, I believe the uh, Secret Labs folks do actual ergonomic work, and they're like taking task chairs and making them gamery. Um, the Herman Miller thing that they did with Logitech with the with the um, uh, you know the crossover chair yeah. is is a real oh yeah high end task it's, chair that a, just has like different fabric and a little bit sturdier frame. That's a fifteen hundred dollar chair. Like Herman Miller is an actual chair maker. Yeah. So, but my my thing, they ended up, we end up having an interesting conversation about like the categories where gamer stuff makes sense and the category where gamer stuff is like bad marketing that just jacks up the price. Mm-hmm. And the takeaway was mice, probably gamer stuff's pretty good. Yeah. Nobody else needs like weird stuff in mice. Monitors, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, variable refresh rate, yeah. stuff like that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, desks, mm-hmm. less so. Yeah. Keyboards, maybe, but yeah. only for like kind of like, you know, if you... It's a that's a choice at that at that point. Chairs probably not. No. Headphones questionable. Sure. Like my argument with headphones, we're gonna lose some. We don't have sponsors, so I can say whatever the hell I want. That's right. Um, the problem with headphones is that for what a really nice high end pair of gamer headphones costs, you can get a professional level headphone that has a good microphone, good sound, and is probably more comfortable in the long term. Maybe has a wire. So anyway, that's my that's my that was the conversation I had this morning on the TechPod Discord. You can join in too by going to patreon.com slash techpod. That's patreon.com slash techpod. If if it weren't for the wonderful patrons on our Discord, I would not really have fully understood the importance of lumbar support. Lumbar support's very important. It's good for your back. It turns out I sit up very straight. I don't have a choice but to sit up very straight in this chair. Yeah, you need something poking you in the back so you know not to mess up. That's my... It gets your posture right. Thank you, patrons, for schooling me on this chair. Love the patrons. Um, we will be back next week with another episode of Brad and Will Made a Tech Pod. Thank you all for listening. If you don't subscribe, tell a friend. I love seeing we we get a bunch of really good tweets from people that are like, hey, uh, these guys named Brad and Will make a really cool podcast every week, and I really like listening to it. I enjoyed the episode about hackers, and then the one about the nerds arguing about license stuff was cool too. Love that stuff. We love we love seeing those. Absolutely. Have a wonderful week, folks. Mm-hmm.